0: Uh, Noam Chomsky is our next guest. Noam is an intellectual activist, professor at MIT, a world-renowned linguist, philosopher, and political analyst who lectures around the world on international affairs. Noam is the author of a new book, Rogue States, The Rule of Force in World Affairs. And recently I told a friend of mine in New Mexico that Noam was going to be a guest on the program. She just heard him talk in New Mexico not too long ago, and she she was excited and she said listening to gnome was like being thirsty and getting a great drink of water from a fire hose <laughs> so gnome welcome to gender talk <laughs> nice introduction Aww. thank you well yes yeah, so, well it's a pleasure
1: to have you here now very
0: excited can
1: can we start out with what is a rogue state and who's the leading rogue state out there <laughs> Well, um, actually,
2: the book begins with some discussion of that. Uh, like just about every term of uh, political discourse, uh, the word "rogue state" has two meanings. Uh, one is its literal meaning. You, know, you, find, you look up in the dictionary. Uh, the other is uh, the meaning that it's uh, that is assigned to it as an instrument of propaganda uh, to beat uh, selected enemies over the head uh that uh, distinction is pretty standard so it holds for uh terms like peace process or terrorism or uh you
1: know so what you're saying?
2: Just about anything.
1: So what you're saying is we selectively use rogue state to define um, so we, yeah, people we, that we want to attack.
2: We use rogue. The rogue state is used here to refer to any state that the U.S. Uh, that is disobedient and the U.S. Mm-hmm. has in its uh,
0: that's a good way to in, say
2: sights of its uh, rifles. Uh, but the term really has a meaning. I mean, a rogue state is a state that uh, defies uh, international law, international norms, and conventions. Uh, that in that demands uh, the right to do anything it wants uh, refuses uh, uh, you know any uh, pays no attention and doesn't care in fact about uh, uh, the uh the uh, opinions and attitudes of others who stand in its way and so on
1: so no, it refuses I'm sorry it refuses to submit itself to world order and to, to international the conventions
2: of world order either right. international law the dictates of the world court uh, Uh, you know refuses to uh, accept its uh, legally required responsibilities and others and in fact pursues what is sometimes called actually in the technical literature uh, the new sovereignism meaning a a demand for uh, a a demand for of sovereign rights so extreme that nothing stands in its way Uh, that term is used to refer to the united states uh, and in fact uh, by those criteria it would be hard to find a state that qualifies more, uh, more fully.
1: So what you're saying is the United States asserts its rights in the world, it asserts its needs in the world above um, the United Nations or any other kind of international yeah, I, negotiation. Yeah, the only
2: qualification I would say is, and it's my fault, is the phrase "its needs." I mean, the United States is, you know, not an entity. Like, for example, when the United States is rejecting uh, decisions of the world court, it's not speaking for me or for you.
0: That's an important distinction to keep in mind because one of the points that you make throughout your work is that uh, people are not really considered, but instead the military interests, the multinational corporate interests, are the uh, real sovereign interests that are taken into account. And if it means running over people, that's okay.
2: Yeah. That's basically true, and it runs over uh, 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 runs over us, too.
0: Yeah. So, in other words, uh,
1: we're not hearing the truth about what's going on in foreign affairs? Is that sort of at the... No,
2: we hear some of it, but uh, if you look carefully, you hear a lot of the truth. But it's often presented in ways which significantly disguise what's happening. So take the notion of rogue states. There's... You know, a lot of reporting and commentary and journal articles and so on, books about rogue states. But what they refer to is uh, they use the term in the propaganda sense. So, take say uh, uh, Cuba and the United States. Okay, Cuba is one of the official rogue states, one of the half a dozen rogue states. Uh, it's uh, condemned for um, you know all sorts of things. Uh, the condemnations could be right or wrong, but it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, for 40 years, Cuba, a small country which had been colonized by the United States for about 60 years until it finally won its independence, Uh, for the 40 years since, Cuba has been under constant U.S. attack, Uh, military attack, economic warfare, efforts at strangulation, uh, trying to induce maximal suffering on the population, straight outright terror, lots of it. So who's the rogue state?
0: It's kind of like doublespeak, isn't it? Uh, Same thing like when uh, terms are mislabeled like free trade agreements that you talk about or labor flexibility. They're not what they really appear to be. Instead, they're kind of the opposite.
2: Actually, free trade and labor flexibility are interesting examples. Uh, Labor flexibility is kind of a a fancy way of saying that uh, when you go to sleep at night, you don't know if you have a job tomorrow morning. Uh, and that's supposed yeah. to be a very good thing. Uh, so uh, you read the World Bank reports, they say that uh, labor market flexibility is uh, the primary reform that uh, every country must institute, oh my uh, even God. though they point out labor, I'm virtually quoting now, uh, labor market flexibility, they say, has gotten a bad name as a euphemism for uh, keeping wages down and workers out, which in fact is exactly what it is, which is why it's gotten that bad name.
0: <laughs> and longer but, hours, um, too. Yeah, that's and, horrific.
2: And that's uh, and the essential reform. So and it, in fact, uh, you know, the effects are uh, lauded. So when, um, say, Alan Greenspan testifies before Congress on uh, the wonderful economy he's presiding over, uh, wonderful for some, uh, he explains straight out, you know, not hiding it, that one of the uh, bases for the foundations for the what he calls cons- excellent economic uh, progress is, and these are his words, uh, growing, worker uh, yeah. growing worker insecurity.
1: And that makes sense. Growing worker insecurity? That makes
2: sense. If workers are insecure, uh, they don't uh, uh, dare to ask for... W- uh, higher wages uh, decent working conditions benefits and so on or refuse overtime or, or refuse extra overtime. assignments oh, yeah. You know, oh. cost, yeah that's the effect of greater worker insecurity okay and that's good for the economy in a certain sense it increases profits it cuts down inflation uh, you
1: no know. sure it's fine oh,
2: that's Except for people
1: yeah <laughs> i want to touch on the issue really briefly there's so much here that we would love to just <laughs> talk about with you but Um, We've got about 15 minutes. I want to very briefly the relationship between U.S. military aid to third world countries and human rights violations.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, actually, that's been very closely studied by, you know, in in, uh, academic work by leading specialists. Uh, So, for example, there's a major study of uh, U.S. foreign aid in Latin America. U.S. military aid and human rights in Latin America by the leading academic specialist on this, uh, Lars Schultz of the University of North Carolina, and he found a very close relation. As he points out, military aid tends to go to the most egregious violators of fundamental human rights. Uh, that includes. Uh, he wrote that article back in 1980.
1: And we're not talking about Russian military no. aid or Iranian no. or IraqS
2: U.S. military. Yeah. He wrote it in 1980. Uh, there's, there are broader studies which find the same correlation worldwide. Uh, since 1980, there really haven't been any studies because it's too obvious. Uh, so in the 1980s, it's completely obvious that uh, U.S. military aid in Latin America, and in fact worldwide, uh, went to very brutal regimes. Uh, in fact, the, you know, some of the worst atrocities were carrying out. Atrocities. Surely comparable to anything that happened in Yugoslavia in the last decade, were being carried out with uh, U.S. guns, U.S. arms, uh, 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 assassinate. I mean, you know, everything from the assassination of an archbishop to uh, uh, wow. causing to killing a couple hundred thousand people and these leaving these are very uh, bloody. Refugees, uh, in the, uh, but if you look closely, it's really quite interesting. It's worth looking at closely. So take uh, okay. the leading recipients of U.S. military aid. On arms transfers. Well, there are two who are in a category by themselves. Israel is way above anyone else, uh, and Egypt is second, but that's because of its relations with Israel. So they're the perennial front-runners, but that's a separate category. If you look at the rest, it's quite interesting how it works. So starting uh, uh, through the 1980s, El Salvador was the leading recipient and had about the world's worst human rights record. Uh, Turkey uh, military aid to Turkey shot up in 1984, not for Cold War reasons. That was the year in which Turkey began a major counterinsurgency campaign against the Kurds. Uh, and uh, military aid to Turkey remained very high. In fact, it was in the 90s the highest, uh, peaking in 1997, uh, right through the whole campaign against the Kurds. By 1999, Turkey had moved down and Colombia took first place well what had happened yeah. uh, Turk, the Turkish campaign against the Kurds its own population had tempor- at least temporarily succeeded in uh, repressing any form of uh, resistance at a horrendous cost I mean Tens of thousands killed, uh, 2 to 3 million refugees, uh, uh, 3,500 villages destroyed. That's about seven times Kosovo under NATO bombs. But Colombia had not yet uh, succeeded in repressing uh, its uh, internal insurgencies. Colombia has the worst military, the worst human rights record in the Western Hemisphere uh, in the 1990s and characteristically has been the leading recipient of U.S. military aid, about half. Uh, in 1999, it went up the first place. Uh, now that aid is going up even higher, uh, and uh, again the same correlation. You know, it's a, it's a very—it's uh, not like 100 percent, but it's a very close correlation.
1: This is all very scary stuff. So we have a government that's out of control that is basically saying we want workers to be working for lower wages and to. Um, not to have less stability so that they're more available to us when we want them to work for us. And we want to basically ship arms to any place where there's a popular democratic uprising or an attempt to uh, institute reform against a tyrannical government. So we ship them all kinds of arms. Now we have an election in front of us yeah. with um, Bush and Gore, who look like more of the same. What And... I just wonder, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can do in this election? What is there any hope? Oh, sure,
2: there's plenty of hope. I mean, you know, there are things to do in elections, too. There's, um, We could go into that, but I think that's kind of secondary. Uh, the uh, Something that should give every, all of us hope is just a look at what's happened over the last 30 years, or 40 years, or even a longer stretch, if you like. There have been very significant improvements. Uh, so, you know, many things are way better than they were 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, look, take your own program. Feminist uh, <laughs> issues were barely on the agenda 30 or yeah, 40 years that's ago. So true.
1: Not to uh, mention trans uh, issues. Environmental issues
2: yeah. didn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Uh, there was almost no opposition to aggression. I mean, when Kennedy uh, started bombing South Vietnam, as he did, uh, there was virtually no protest. went on for years without protest. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Native American uh, rights were not even an object of ridicule. That's right. Uh, Lots of interpersonal relations have changed, much for the better, in fact. Uh, The civil rights situation has improved. There's been regression, too. But overall, there's been uh, significant improvement. It didn't come from elections. It came from extensive popular struggle. Uh, it, every one of those cases.
1: What do you mean by extent? Let's talk about extensive. Let's talk about popular struggle. What it is, and you know what it takes to make it happen. Well, you know, if it, it can.
2: Educational programs, organization, protest, uh, uh, demands, creating alternative institutions. Uh, just what's happened in all of those cases.
1: You think the demonstrations in Seattle, Washington, yeah. Boston, the WTO? So oh, sure. Yeah.
2: In fact, they've had a big impact already really how so look you just take a look at the at the, re- uh, uh, the rhetoric at the rhetorical level the World Bank and the IMF have changed quite considerably uh, they now effectively concede that uh, the programs they've been carrying out for some years have been harmful uh, oh. and uh, they're trying to you know they're trying to sort of buy off the demonstrators by incorporating ngos and you know the more kind of respectable looking ones the ones who can verify
0: because on. they were exposed
2: because they've been exposed and yeah. they're afraid of the popular reaction now yes. so far most so far those are not substantive changes
0: yeah
2: uh, and you know they, they claim they're changing their policies that they agree that the policies have harmed people caused poverty uh, you know Uh, undermined education and health and so on and they claim they're going to change well you know they'll change if they're compelled to not out of the goodness of their hearts they didn't just discover this because they looked over their back records
1: yeah so So, the
2: the protests have already had an effect and the more they uh, uh, intensify and develop and become something beyond protests you know calls for um, significant modification of the institutions are linking up with people in the third world, as they've already done, uh, those can be very powerful forces.
1: Interesting. So in a sense, um, we have a democracy, although the elections themselves aren't really the primary instrument of the democracy, it sounds like. Yeah, I think
2: that's probably true, uh, and I think that's true back through history. I mean, look, the democratic rights are nothing to sneeze at. They're important. Yeah. I mean, it's very important that, uh, like, say, right now, uh, you and I know that the stormtroopers aren't going to break into our, you know, we're your studio in my house and uh, take us out to a t- torture chamber. And things hmm. like that happen. As long times. as we don't cross the FBI, yeah. I'm uh, bad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know, I got an FBI file. Of oh. pretty thick. But uh,
0: it's how do you
1: survive? Like yeah, how? Do oh, you? How? How come you haven't been targeted, now? Well, I have.
2: I've been on Nixon's enemies list. I was. Uh, up for a, the only reason i didn't go to jail for a long time was because the Tet offensive came along and the prosecutions were that were underway were canceled but oh, wow. uh, i don't call that being targeted i mean you know people like us are so privileged yeah. by comparison with most of the world yeah That to talk about our own you know anything that happens to us is almost uh, kind of you know obscene yeah, yeah there are problems but uh, nothing like what's faced in most of the world and in this Country over over a long period, many rights have been won, not granted. Won, you know. Uh, even some of the things that are best established here, like say freedom of speech, which happens to be, you know, in in that respect, the United States is you know one of the maybe the best place in the world. Uh, that didn't come by, uh, you know. That that's not in the First Amendment. I mean, the the Supreme Court. Uh, dealt with its first serious freedom of speech case, I think, in 1931. Uh, th- those rights were won by labor struggles, uh, uh, you know, uh, women's struggles, other struggles over the years, which finally uh, uh, brought about a change in uh, atmosphere and attitude so that free speech is protected. Civil right- The Civil Rights Movement, for example, led to one of the first uh, major uh, uh, Decisions by the Supreme Court uh, to support uh, fundamental freedom of speech
1: 1964. Wow. That's a great perspective, and it's very empowering. And That's if good. we
0: look at how the resistance has really operated, in, in your book you give an example. Here in New England, you said 150 years ago, there was an independent labor press run by young women from the farms and laborers who condemned the degradation and subordination of the newly emerging industrial system and talked about how it was running over people and how horrible it was to rent themselves out to survive. So... There's always been resistance and and critiques, and now we're we're concerned with the. It almost sounds like nothing changes. Colonization uh, of the the public mind, just like as as you say in your book, the body, and uh, could you comment on that a little bit? How how uh, it induces a philosophy of futility in us and. Well, that's uh, about
2: those phrases like uh, inducing a philosophy of futility and regimenting the mind Yeah men like their bodies, an army regiments their bodies those are straight out of the public relations industry yes. quotes from business leaders uh, the people with power and privilege don't decide to give it up easily no. uh, when they face uh, popular struggles and, and popular victories uh, they don't go home they figure out they try to figure out other ways to uh, uh, sustain the privilege and power that they've attained that was rather striking during the those quotes that you mentioned are yes. from mostly the 1920s right. and it's an interesting time uh, by the 1920s uh, the franchise had been extended to the you know to, to the white population at least including women for the first time uh, and there were other de- popular democratic victories and that scared business greatly and both here and in england the other leading democracy and strikingly in both primarily in the united states secondarily in england uh, huge industries developed devoted to uh, regimenting the public mind it was recognized that you it's going to be harder and very explicitly recognized that it's going to be harder to control people by force and therefore we have to spend much more energy and effort into controlling their opinions and attitudes uh, and uh, w- w- there are a lot of ways of doing this. One of the major ones is to try, again, I'm quoting business leaders, mm-hmm. to try to focus people's attention on the superficial things of life, like fashionable consumption. Well, we all recognize that. Mm. I mean, people now are bombarded from infancy through their rest of their lives uh, with uh, uh, effort with uh, 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 propaganda.
0: And it is tried, propaganda. Yeah, yeah, it
2: tries to induce them to perceive themselves as passive consumers and nothing else. Wage slaves, consumer slaves. Yeah, sure. you yeah. follow orders and you try to maximize uh, what are called invented wants. So it seems, uh, that begins within in infancy.
1: It seems like we should be contesting the media control then by you know a few large corporations because it seems like, I mean, we know that the government now is is subsidizing um, film production if they, and television production if they put the government message in that if they advocate for certain things or if they have certain ideals in there. It seems like that ought to be a place we should be fighting hard.
2: Yeah, and it goes uh, the other way as well. Corporate power, which of course basically runs the media, is the media in fact, uh, also has enormous influence over government. The concentration of uh, 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 media, which is increasing, is dangerous. Uh, But even and and in fact, the media, like other parts of the economy, are uh, falling into the hands of a small number of mega corporations. It's particularly uh, it's worse in the case of the media than the automobile industry. You know, media has a different role, but there are ways around that too. Uh, Alternative. uh, Alternative media, for example.
1: Yeah, certainly the internet. Yeah, yeah the yeah. internet is democratizing yeah. the media in a sense. The internet, uh, yeah.
2: radio has opportunities. In fact, there are many opportunities that aren't even exploited, yeah. and should be. Like let takes say cable television. Uh, under the uh, original congressional acts, uh, city municipalities have to provide public access cable TV.
1: Yeah. Well, you
2: know that's a golden opportunity for activists.
1: Yeah. Yes. Very rarely used. Yeah.
2: There's things that can be done that aren't being done.
1: No, um, unfortunately, we have to say goodbye. We have to uh, give up the microphone to the next okay. program. <laughs> we, we really appreciate you coming on Gender Talk, and we hope that uh, we'll have the opportunity to speak with you again. Good.
2: Okay. It was real good to talk to you.
1: Well, and thank
0: you for all yep. the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, you know, without you um, and others like you, um, you know, a lot of us would be really lost. Can so we ask one so final
0: much. quick question? Sure. Should we vote for Nader?
2: Uh where where do you live?
0: <laughs> We're right here.
2: Uh, well, I think it, you know I, I I will, you know. Yeah, is, a,
0: which we know is a state that is basically yeah. going to go right. Gore. Swing so state though, you go Gore.
2: Yeah, I mean where, where there's a close election, I think there there a question arises. Exactly. And you can give arguments both ways, but uh,
0: Register for third party. Yeah,
2: (laughs) but where it's a shoe-in, I think it's pretty clear what least my view, what one should do.
0: Ours as well. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, good night. Take care. Have a good uh, fall. Bye. Bye Good night.
0: Cool. There's so much there. Oh, I feel, We've been reading that book, and it's just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our
2: credibility just went up five points,
0: and his went, no, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Um
1: you know I've been reading this book Rogue States and it is like taking a drink from a fire hose. Uh,
0: Christine it was is right.
1: Chock full, chock full of great stuff yeah. and
0: uh, you got to read some Noam Chomsky. You've got you got to, re- to Necessary Illusions is another great book that I used to use in graduate seminars that I taught. If you really Phenomenal. I mean he cuts clearly through a lot of the Baloney! A lot of
1: the hype, a lot of the propaganda.
0: He tells it um, like it is.
1: Really simple things like, we are the number one arms exporter in the world, and every time there's human rights violations, what do we do? We send them more guns and planes and wow. tanks and missiles and helicopters. And
2: it's worked so well to promote peace.
0: <clears throat> well, every
1: time we come down on the side of the brutal dictatorship, not on the side of the liberatory revolutionary movement because
0: populations basically are there to be subordinated and dominated
1: and in fact and Alan, slaughtered as we heard tonight, Alan Greenspan himself oh, yeah. said that it said that we're keeping what was it our workforce is uh um let's
0: see if I can find that quote more uncomfortable
1: or more uh um uncertain or something oh, like that he
0: had the name it was called uh, labor flexibility that you wanted to keep yeah, the workforce uh, use the labor flexibility which means more people are going to be afraid of being laid off wages are going to go down more temporary
1: jobs fewer longer hours stable worked. jobs yeah flexible and bend it, whoops, over and pick up the we're over our yeah. time oh, and, we could and, go on and on <laughs> and, and we're so sorry uh, to run over thank you everybody for listening coming up right now is dreams of a new age uh You know our website, it's gendertalk.com. You know where you can email us. For more information about any transgender issue, call the International Foundation for Gender Education at 781-899-2212. And uh, that does it for our program tonight. We hope you've enjoyed our show as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. We sure enjoyed it tonight. On behalf of Gordine McKenzie, Hal Fuller, Karen Larson, Amanda Hopon, and myself, thanks again for listening. Remember, no matter what the occasion, gender talk is always appropriate. Good night, everybody.